Welcome to The Working Therapist with Hayden Bolick, a podcast designed to help you grow more, do more, and be more as a therapist. The Working Therapist is an extension of the Pediatric Developmental Therapy Network. We're glad you've joined us for today's podcast. So here's your host, Hayden Bolick. Hey, everybody. Welcome to this episode of The Working Therapist. I'm Hayden Bolick, your host, and today we are talking about how to get a child off the pacifier and off the bottle and move to an open cup without a lot of crying and fussing and just how to easily do it. So my guest today is Kirsty Miles. So Kirsty, why don't you introduce yourself and we'll get started. I am a physical therapist with PDT. I've been here almost 12 years and I work with the team over in Southern Pines. We are at charter schools, private schools, and we have the Southern Pines office as well as developmental day centers. And then I help Hayden in the Rayford area and Fayetteville. You work with the team. So Kirstie, she's in charge of that team in Southern Pines, not to correct your introduction, Kirstie, but she's in charge (laughs) of that team over in Southern Pines and all the associated contracts, as well as in the Rayford area and and team members in Fayetteville area too. So Kirstie works with all of that with PDT and that's just part of what you do. But anyway, so we are talking, so today, that's right, today, so as as Kirstie and I work together a lot, obviously at PDT, and so we were talking about just one of the things that we hear a lot, even in physical therapy or speech therapy sessions or occupational therapy sessions, it doesn't really matter. It happens all of those. We hear parents talking about getting rid of the pacifier or getting rid of the bottle or moving to an open cup or a sippy cup or, or whatever. And so we just thought a good idea for a podcast was to to talk about that and how to do it easily and developmentally appropriate and just give some people some context and context in terms of development for oral motor movement patterns and then what kids are doing at certain ages to help you best move your child off of a pacifier to get rid of that thing and to move from a bottle to an open cup because we hear where sometimes a lot where parents are struggling. And from a PT perspective, no, we don't generally do feeding. However, PTs are typically the first one in to see a child. We usually get the referral first because the patient is limited on gross motor skills or they're behind in gross motor skills, which is the first thing that generally gets picked up because from a a fine motor standpoint, they're not doing anything yet with their hands unless there's an underlying sensory issue that is being picked up on. So PT is generally the first ones in as early as, I mean, we've had 10 days old come into the clinic. So we see them very young. We're the first ones in. So we need to be able to recognize when feeding is an issue or when parents have questions, we need to understand and know when to make a referral. So if we think about it, really, if we just fast forward from an end up between a baby who's six and eight, nine months of age, think about what they're doing. A baby at six months of age, that's where you're starting to introduce the spoon. They're taking spoon food from a spoon. They're usually at just like the cereal with formula and then they're moving to stage one baby food. And then as they progress between six months and nine months, they're moving from stage one to stage two. Then at nine months of age, they're starting to pick up small little finger foods like, you know, Cheerios that you break into minuscule pieces or those little tiny baby bites. You know, there's tons of things on the market that are, that Gerber makes that are like Basically, they dissolve in your mouth little finger foods. And so they're starting to pick those up and put them in the mouth and beginning some hand-to-mouth feeding, that kind of thing. But they're not independently feeding themselves. So if you're thinking about a baby between six and nine months of age, that's where you're going to start to really at nine months probably start to introduce the cup. Several years ago, I worked with a speech therapist that she worked with the children that needed feeding therapy at the developmental day center where we were at. And she has told me something that has always stuck with me as a PT. She said, Kirstie, a 
baby's oral motor abilities are never going to outgrow their gross motor abilities. What that means is the first thing that we look at as a PT is their head control. That's the first major milestone that a child achieves around two to three months. Two months is starting to come in, but by three months, they're able to really hold their head up straight. So you're not going to give a baby a spoon before they can hold their head and trunk up. So that's why around that six-month mark is when you're starting to do the spoon feeding and introduce that. So for me, you know, it, that makes sense to me because when you look at different foods that you can get <laughs> in the baby aisle, they have like, this is for a crawler, this is for a sitter, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm like, oh, that's why that's there. They match. Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, and then also at age six months of it, a baby is not really ready for spoon feeding it, which I love that what you said too, Kirsty. But just in terms of their face and their what's happening with their cheeks and lips and tongue and jaw, you know, up and from zero to six months, they're just taking a bottle. So their tongue and their jaw are moving as a unit. They've got those big fat cheek pads, you know, the fat pads on their cheeks. They're also really important in terms of stability. The tongue and the jaw are moving as a unit. You know, when the jaw moves up, the tongue comes up right behind the, they don't have teeth yet, the tongue tip comes up to what will, you know, the alveolar ridge. And then when the jaw drops down, the tongue drops down and back with it to that KG position. I'm saying this for the speech therapist, so they're thinking about speech and language development, K and G position. So they have that positive pressure when the tongue is up and the jaw is up. And then they have that negative pressure when the jaw drops down and the tongue is in the back. So positive pressure, negative pressure. That's happening. And think about how many times a day a baby is practicing that. I mean, every time they get a bottle, DG, DG, TK, all those positions, positive pressure, negative pressure, positive pressure, negative pressure, over and over and over again. Well, up until six months, they start those big old fat pads, but at six months, their little head starts to grow. And so the fat pads start to sort of go away. They're also, they're starting to roll over, begin to sit up, just like what Kiersey's talking about. So they're moving more, they're burning more calories. And so their face, they start to lose those fat pads. Well, when they do, that's when they're able to start moving their tongue around in their mouth. Up until then, there's really not a lot of space. So at six months, when you start giving them the spoon, when you first notice, they're just, they're sticking that tongue out and they're trying to take the spoon just like they do a bottle. But they learn very quickly how to close their lips on the spoon, how to clear it off. It doesn't take long between six and eight months, but a baby physically isn't even ready to do that because what Kirstie's talking about with the head control and, and their body control, they're just not able to do that before six months. So at six months, you're introducing the spoon, they're stage one, or just that baby cereal, you know, with a whole bunch of formula or breast milk mixed in. And then they're moving up to stage three, like we said, again, between six and nine months of age. Then motor-wise, why don't you tell everybody what's happening, Kirstie, at nine months? Well, by nine months old, you've got, so typical development, the child is able to sit, they're able to transition in and out of sit, they can get to quadruped, they can start to pull themselves to stand, and we're beginning to cruise. So holding on to furniture, keeping their belly off the support, they're starting to move along the surface. And then speech and language wise, they're past cooing, so they're not just doing vowel sounds, they're doing the da da da, the cut cut cut, you know, they're doing CV, CV, babbling, they're beginning to play with intonation, pitch, you know, the babbling may not just be the repetitive babbling, but they may be starting to sort of mix some other sounds in there. They're starting to like squeal and you know, just experiment with their voice and experiment with sounds. And you're hearing a lot of P, B, D, T, K, G, M, N. Those are the type of sounds you're hearing with a variety of vowels because they're just playing. But they are, have the ability to move their face to make the sounds because they have more space. So they're not just making that ba 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 da da da. They can, st- I mean, there's, they're, they're, face is skinnier so they can make move their tongue and their mouth to make more sounds and at that point 
usually it's when parents start to introduce a cup because at 12 months, the doctor's going to say, hey, you got to move this baby off a bottle. So that's when they start to introduce a cup. And most times what happens is parents will introduce a sippy cup. Now, a sippy cup is not a normal developmental milestone. And we just pull this article from Asha. In fact, we just recently put it up on our internal employee communication system that we have here at PDT. You just posted this article from Asha where it talked about the American Speech Language and Hearing Association, where it talked about the fact that a sippy cup was not a normal developmental milestone. I personally have never loved a sippy cup. And when I talk about a sippy cup, I'm talking a sippy cup with a valve in there so it doesn't spill like a non-spill sippy cup. And here's why I don't like it. Number one, a normal, you know, suck from a bottle, that's very normal. It helps with that DT, positive pressure, negative pressure. It's building that jaw stability. It's building that tongue movement. It's reinforcing that. That jaw stability is really growing with that. And strength is moving from when you're doing the positive pressure, negative pressure. It sets a child up for normal motor speech sound development. So the bottle, yes, with the regular nipple that's not the big fat nook nipple. I don't like that. But I like the regular skinny, the regular nipple that's like the longer nipple. But... A sippy cup, that number one is doesn't promote central tongue grooving because a bottle does. It doesn't promote central tongue grooving. The sides of the tongue are up and curved around the bottle. Again, that's going to help later with your R sound and other sounds where you got to move your different ways to move your tongue. But then the sippy cup is not because the spout's really short and I don't know. I, with my kids, I always try to suck out of the sippy cup. That's an, an inordinate Some of them amount. Are impossible. Yes, it's an inordinate amount of like you've got to work hard. That was my, that was always my thing when they started to throw it. I'm like, oh, you can't get anything out of there. Right. (laughs) So a lot of times kids who have maybe preemies who might not have a stronger suck or maybe who are less coordinated or maybe a baby who, for whatever reason, their suck's not quite as strong or maybe they've just got some maybe lower tone, uh, lots of things that be going on. They're not going to be very successful with this one of those suck sipper cups, you know, because you've got to suck so hard and it's not, it doesn't promote typical tongue, central grooving, movement, positive, negative pressure. It doesn't do any of those things that a bottle does. So I don't love them to death. And also Mm -hmm. kids are used to getting an immediate reward. So you put the bottle in their mouth, boom, they don't have to do much in terms of like natural sucking ability happens and they get something out of the bottle. The sippy cut, like you said, if they're throwing it, they're not getting anything out of it. So you got to get an immediate gratification. So you got to think about that. When you're moving the cup to something else, they're used to getting immediate gratification. Well, whatever you're introducing, if it doesn't, they aren't able to get something from it immediately, they're going to chuck it because, like, what's the purpose of that? So I prefer a straw. And a lot of people go, oh, my gosh, I can't believe you give a straw to a baby. So I love a straw cup first because it continues to promote that central tongue grooving it continues to do the natural like sucking motions with the tongue and with the jaw so the positive pressure the negative pressure building the jaw strength and stability helping the tongue get stronger as well it continues that natural progression some kids if they had a weaker suck then what I'll do is I'll create my own like sucky straw cup thing you could take that honey you know the like the bear thing that you get honey from like in the grocery store you know what i'm talking about or you, you can go to the you get your hair you know the where you get hair dye so and you can get one of those like a beauty supply shop yeah exactly like a sally one of those places you get your and you can take tubing that you get at lowe's <laughs> it's like clear plastic tubing and then you put that into the bear cup put the lid in and put the tubing in and then you take the color bottle that you use to dye your hair with and then you or you know what a ketchup or a mustard bottle you know old school that you get like the squeezable you know I take and I cut the tip into that off and I put the tubing in there so then you can create a squeezy cup so then I squeeze the bottle a little bit and help 
the child know that they can get something from the straw. And so that squeeze the squeeze that cup so that the liquid comes to the very top of the straw. And then when the child puts it in their mouth, I'll just give it an extra little squeeze and then not so that it's gonna like flood their mouth, but just so they understand something's coming from that. And I bet you if they've got if and I not bet you I know, if they've got a normal suck, that's all it needs and they start to learn how to drink from a straw immediately. So then, I've used something similar. I've been out on the road, forgot sippy cup or a bottle or didn't have anything and my children needed something to drink and I think one of them we happened to be at a Panera and I grabbed an organic milk and it comes in the juice box type bottle which you can squeeze those has the straw so I mean it was out of necessity but (laughs) see that's why I like Kirstie that's why we get along so well I go through this big long complicated hair dye honey bear (laughs) honey thing and she's like or the I was milk, stuck in a Panera. <laughs> or the milk from the Panera, Hayden. Like, oh, oh yeah, that. that <laughs> this, this, this is the story of our relationship. Kirstie is like short, sweet, to the point. Boom, done, baby. Efficient, fast. And I'm like this complicated, long, drawn out <laughs> thing. Honey bear. I'm shopping for like ketchup bottles and tubing from Lowe's. That describes us, Kirstie. There you go. <laughs> Boom. All right, so after you get your tubing from Lowe's and your ketchup bottle or whatever, but basically the child knows how to drink from a straw very quickly and easily. Once the child, if they can drink from a bottle and you introduce the straw in a cup, as long as they know it's an immediate gratification, so you have to make sure that they can get it immediately. Another way to do this is if you don't go to Panera and don't do my complicated ketchup, mustard, hair <laughs> dye thing, then you can also just take a regular straw, like from McDonald's. And you know how you put the liquid in it and hold your thumb on top? Mm-hmm. Y'all with me? Okay. Then you do that and you just put it in their mouth because they're open in their mouth because they put everything in their mouth at that age, right? So you, they put it in their mouth and then you just let it go. And then you do that a couple times and they'll start sucking on the straw and then you can put it in the cup and they'll get it. You just got to basically under them understand, look, something comes out of this straw because up to that point, they're normal as a bottle. So basically you're just trying to communicate to them something comes out of the straw. So give it a minute. So that's mm-hmm. really what it is. Once they understand the, the straw cup too, when you buy straw cups where they have the mechanism in them so that you know it prevents liquid from spilling out of it. So I like a straw cup. I prefer that much over a sippy cup. I prefer the old school Tupperware cup. And I say Tupperware meaning like generally plastics in general, but I refer to all general cups like this as Tupperware cups, but you can get them from like Walmart or Kmart or Groza's or whatever. It's just like the old school plastic cup and it's got like that kind of off-white or white kind of lid on it. It's not clear, but it's not completely. It's the harder plastic Mm -hmm. that's got the the piece that sticks out of the top, right? But it's open, Mm -hmm. so it will spill, but. Mm -hmm. I prefer that because then it, it helps control the spill. So, because I get it. Like, I didn't want my child walking around the house with an open cup because that was a disaster waiting to happen. But but the Tupperware cup, especially like if they're in their high chair, then you're kind of controlled mess type of situation. I preferred that. So I would have them do the Tupperware cup with that because it's just got the slit. So it's helping them to close on a cup, just like a regular cup, but yet they're still getting liquid. So they're not getting so much that they're going to choke themselves because some kids choke themselves with an open cup and then it freaks them out and they won't try it again. But it controls the liquid so they're not going to choke themselves, but yet they're still having to, you know, just sort of maintain jaw control to keep their lips on that cup to get some. If you're talking about motor development now, Kirsty, then, you know, what they have to do to sort of be able to lift that cup up to their mouth and hold it there and maintain their position and all that stuff. You have to be able to tilt your head back. So to do that... You have to have the trunk control. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. you're not going to give a child a sippy cup or 
trans start transitioning to an open cup if you've got them completely strapped in the high chair because they can't be in the upright position. They're not going to have the motor coordination or the trunk stability to be able to do that without choking. So once they can do that, though, and they can sit up and they have the trunk control, then they should be able to just experiment with that cup, you know, and then they won't get so much out that that spills too much, makes too much of a mess, and they won't choke on it either. So I prefer that. Now, I also tell parents to give them a, some people, this doesn't gross me out, but I guess some people might be grossed out by this, but I also tell parents to give a child a Tupperware cup or one of those plastic cups without a lid and the bathtub. Not that the child is drinking tons of bath water, but we all both know Anyway, when you've got a baby in the bathwater, they're drinking a certain amount of bathwater. So if you think they're not, let's just get over <laughs> that. They are. So anyway, so it doesn't gross me out because, like, you know what? If that's the least they get into, we're good. Anyway, but I tell her to give it to them in a bathtub because then they can just – it doesn't matter if with an open cup because they can spill it all over themselves and do whatever, but they just get to at least practice and understand how much to tilt up, how much to not. They're not going to make a big mess. There you go. So I tell parents all the time to let them practice with an open cup in the bathtub and just drink bath water. (laughs) So let me just tell you, though, I Mm -hmm. had a child. It's been many, many years ago, but they were explaining to the doctor all this stuff going on. And I'm like, wait, wait, did you tell him like she only eats in the bathtub, like eats? Oh, eats. eats. Oh, (laughs) like all her meals were in the bathtub and I was like, hmm. Well, that's, that's <laughs> so a whole different thing. You don't want to go to that habit. Either. No, 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 no. <laughs> I'm just talking line. about, yeah, no, I'm just talking about so the child can learn how much it spills, how much to tilt it up. Introductory practice. <laughs> yes. I, yes. I'm just so that they can like practice tilting their head back, holding the cup up. So, because at first when they do that, they're kind of over exaggerating. They spill it all over themselves. So I'm just practice, <laughs> but not eating the bathtub. No. <laughs> so no, I gotcha. that's right. So in terms of uh, open cup, there's a couple of different things that I, I like to tell parents to do as well. If a child is really, really struggling moving from a straw cup or a bottle to an open cup, instead of a sippy cup, instead of a sippy cup, then I'll recommend thickening the liquids, but not with a thicket type of component. Cause I don't like thicket for kids. So I usually tell parents we'll put a little bit of applesauce or pudding into the bottom of an open cup, and then I'll tell them to put a little bit of juice or water or, you know, formula doesn't taste good. So I don't tell parents to use formula. Breast milk, I haven't tasted breast milk, but I think it's sweeter than <laughs> formula per the baby's reactions that I've worked with. <laughs> anyway, but formula tastes bad. So I don't, I tell parents, look, let's put something in there that's motivating that they're going to want to get. So like pudding, yes, or applesauce and like a little bit of splash of juice or water because the yogurt and the pudding you know, make it taste good. And then like thicken that up. So I tell them to stir it, stir it, stir it, stir it, stir it. And then and thicken that up. So it's like a thickened, kind of like a little bit of a melted milkshake type of consistency. And then I have the parents tilt that stuff to the very top of the cup because again, the child doesn't understand they got to wait for something because up until that point with a bottle, they don't have to wait. You tilt it and you put it in your mouth and you get something immediately versus the cup. You got to wait long enough for it to tilt back and kids usually don't wait that long so I go ahead and have them tilt it that putting water juice stuff up to the very edge of the cup and then have them put that right there at the child's mouth and the lip and then the child realizes they're getting something so it helps them and then I have them slowly unthicken it so I like that method as well I use that all the time in therapy also so and then slowly you just move to a regular open cup with thin liquids as long as they're safe for that. But that's how, now to get rid of that bottle, so that's my spiel on cup drinking, sippy cups, and straw cups. 
But then in terms of moving a child off of a bottle, I do like for a child to have some experience and some stuff that they're doing prior to 12 months because at 12 months, I think it's unfair to say a child just poof. Okay. You're 12 months, no more bottle. Here's a cup go, you know, because that's, that just seems a little harsh. So I like to sort of have them start practicing from nine months all the way up and then, and then start fading the bottle out. So I'll tell, you know, parents anyway, with, with food anyway, you basically are replacing as they're, eating their spoon food and they're increasing their, you know, textures and consistencies they can take from third stage to table food. And they're moving up from nine months to 12 months. They're able to do all of that. Then their motor development for their face and jaw and lips and cheeks and tongue are all working to, for them to ready to take table food and to chew and all that. Yeah. So basically from like nine months up to 12 months, I'm talking to parents about how to fade the bottle out because so that basically at 12 months, you're only getting a bottle in the morning, maybe. And at night because I'm a working mama and they needed their bottle at night because they needed to go to sleep because I needed to go to sleep. (laughs) (laughs) So then you're really fading that out. And so then at 12 months, 12 to 15 months, then really you can fade that bottle away and you've got something else to replace it. You've got a cup or a straw cup. And that's where I think the straw cup really comes in handy because it still has that sucking thing. So when you're putting your child to bed, you're not putting them to bed with a bottle. But if you're like reading them a bedtime story, getting them ready for bed, they still have that sucking motion, which is soothing to help them sort of get into that night-night mode. That's what I called it. So basically with the bottle, that's how you just begin to replace it. And I like to replace it with that straw cup. And then you're basically replacing it with food. They're full. They don't really need the bottle. And at at that point, if they're getting all their calories and all of that from food, they're just wanting the bottle to suck on something just for soothing and that kind of thing. So if you understand what they're using the bottle for, they're not using it for calorie intake because they're getting that from their food. They're just using that as soothing. So that's why I like that straw cup. Which also takes us to the pacifier. It does. So talk to us about the pacifier and getting rid of, I tell you, I had one of my four, I shouldn't admit this. One of my four kids had a pacifier till they were three and almost four. And the dentist said, you know, their mouth are getting ready, sort of misshapen. And at that point we got rid of it. But then after child one, I learned how to do this better. But kid one, <laughs> he's my guinea pig kid. Oh, he would, will remain nameless. He will <laughs> remain la- nameless, but kid one, whew, Sorry, bud. (laughs) Anyway, um, but I'm happy to say his teeth look fairly normal now. Anyway, but anyhow, he's 18, so we've we've overcome it. Anyhow, but anyhow, so talk to us about a pacifier, Kirsty. Well, we've been doing podcasts for a while, and do you remember the one? It's been a while, but we talked about like just the early stages of development. I mean, until six months, really zero to three months, you were in pure survival mode. Oh heck yeah! Like you're not sleeping. No. And you you started back at work, and you're still not sleeping. So you're working all day. You're not sleeping at night. You are purely just trying to survive. (laughs) I said zero to three months is not for wimps. No. It's going to make or break you. (laughs) (laughs) And you know what? You have a person, so it better make you. And (laughs) awesome for you if you've got a good sleeper. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Rock on. Yay. Yay for you. (laughs) But for the rest of us that did not. <laughs> exactly. I, neither, <laughs> neither of mine were. They were up to eat every two hours, one of them every hour and a half. Oh my gosh. So there was no sleep. So no. a pacifier, like you said, you quickly learn either the bottle is a pacifier or you become the pacifier. Mm-hmm. I had so one of those. Yep. They need one. And I've also heard parents say, well, I don't want them to have a pacifier. They suck their thumb. And I'm like, 
uh, okay, that's your choice, but you can get rid of a pacifier. <laughs> Their thumb's not going anywhere. <laughs> you can't cut that bad boy off. Mm-mm. No. No, I no. much prefer the pacifier over the tongue. Yep. I mean the thumb. So for just from personal experience, up until a year old, I let them use their pacifier when they needed it because it was more of a soothing, Mm -hmm. like you said, for the feeding, it was more for soothing. So if they got upset, they got their pacifier to calm or at nap time and nighttime. With having a preemie, I use the pacifier as a means of regulating breathing Mm -hmm. because I was very, very concerned about like, oh my gosh, is he breathing when he's sleeping? (laughs) Now the hospital sent me home with him. So I thought, okay, they must think that He's good and doesn't need to be on a monitor anymore, but that was always a worry of mine. Yeah. So I stuck with a pacifier for that reason. And so the breathing, but also the the soothing piece. And then, so up until a year old, whenever they needed it, and then nap in nighttime. Right at a year old, though, we started to say, okay, this is only for nap and nighttime. And that's when they start to, like you said, they're starting to make some sounds, talk, understand some of what you're saying. And so at 12 months old, we could put it in the crib and like wave bye-bye to it. Mm -hmm. Like, bye-bye. We'll see you later. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Because they're starting to babble and they've got some bees and that sort of thing. So we could say bye-bye and and children are waving generally by that time. So again, you're also incorporating other speech language skills into it. And then at two years old, pretty close to it, what I did with both of mine was I cut the nipple right off and I gave it to them. And they tried to put it in their mouth and they had nothing to grab onto. And I know one of them looked at me and goes, it broke. <laughs> yes. It broke. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I was like, oh, uh-oh, let's go throw it away. And I let them physically throw it in the trash can. I never heard a word about them again. And I think as key to that too is like a younger age is you're sort of setting the rules. You know, like at, at one month, like what you said, at one year of age, you're sort of setting, okay, here and here is when you get the pacifier and the rest of the time you don't. And it's, and they're not old enough to argue really. You know, <laughs> I agree a hundred percent with all of that up until 12 months because they need to be able to soothe themselves. So if you're the mm-hmm. soother, if every time they cry, you go and pick them up and you calm them down, they need to learn how to soothe and calm themselves a little bit and sort of, you know, it's that cope. whole regulation. Yeah. And it builds so if, if, on itself. Right. And if we're constantly the external source for soothing, I mean, good luck later. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Wait till they're 16. But um, they, yeah, exactly. So because that's not the time to start. And, and it's okay for a child. It's okay for them to cry a little bit. I'm not talking about crying till they're, they're inconsolable or if there's something really wrong or they're hurt or they're sick or something. I'm not talking about that. But just to cry a little bit to learn how to calm themselves down or to, you know, think, okay, I'm, nothing's too bad here. I could, you know, then it's a really important thing for them to learn. And a pacifier does help with all of that. Mm-hmm. And up until up till 12 months, they're still drinking out of a bottle. So that whole normal tongue movement, jaw movement thing, that's still fine. But at 12 months of age, you really want them to start, you know, they start to develop more sounds at 12 months of age are saying first words. And at 18 months of age, they're supposed to have about 50 words. And at two years of age, they're putting two words together. Well, there's a lot of sounds they got to do. And if they've got the pacifier the whole time, it is really getting in the way. So morning and night, 
because, again, work on mama. These people have to go to bed because i got to go to bed because I'll be a much better mama tomorrow morning. At some point, they have to go to bed. So I like the soothing pass before I then go to bed at night and then wake up in the morning. Everybody's happiness again. Yay. But then they tell it bye-bye because it does start to get in the way of their speech development because it does encourage that forward tongue position and um, it encourages that same motor pattern of the forward tongue and they need to learn how to lateralize the tongue and then also move the tongue up independently separate from the jaw. And if they're, they're sucking on that pacifier all day long, they're still using their jaw and their tongue together as a unit. The jaw has got to be stable because if you don't have good stability with your jaw, however, you're going to move your cheeks and lips and tongue to make adequate speech sounds. So for all of that, and, but I get it for the preemie because the pacifier first also helps to regulate that suck, swallow, breathe. I mean, it's not the mm-hmm. same pattern. A nutritive suck and a non-nutritive suck are different, but it still helps that suck, swallow, breathe issue to help them regulate for a bottle, especially a preemie, especially a preemie. Anyway, the same concept with a bottle. You know, like the way that Kirsty was talking about just sort of cutting the nipple and making it so it's really not effective and useful anymore, the same general concept can happen with the bottle. So if, you know, if you're trying to get rid of the bottle, at 12 months they don't need the formula for calorie intake as much. You know, they, you can move to milk at that point. So another way to do it, the same idea that Kiersey did, is to slowly replace the milk with water. So you could put like, five, if it's a six-ounce bottle, for example, you could put five and a half ounces of milk, one half an ounce of water, and then slowly do five and one, four and two, three and three. To, you know, you start to move your ratio. So eventually the bottle, they're like, this is just water. I don't want this. And they sort of get rid of the bottle themselves without you doing it. You know, you went back to talking about the bottle a little bit. And I have one question for you because I hear a lot of parents that do this or the doctor has said to do it for one of two reasons. Number one, I see them doing it because their baby has reflux and kind of that old myth or to say, hey, put some cereal in the bottle. Mm Mm-hmm for reflux Mm -hmm. or, hey, it'll help get them to sleep longer. (laughs) So they'll put cereal in the bottle and cut the nipple. What is your intake on or your thoughts on that? Never cut the nipple. Never. I always, and there's very little things in my life that are nevers or always, you know, but never cut the nipple. And here's why. Because it changes the way the nipple works and it changes the way the tongue and the jaw and all of that works. So if you cut the nipple, all of a sudden you've got this free flow of whatever's in the bottle. And so the, really the child doesn't do anything to get anything out of the bottle you know, do something to get something, they're not doing anything. So they're not doing that positive and negative pressure and that central tongue grooving that's so important and so vital. Instead, they're just gulping. So they're just reacting to everything just pouring out of the bottle. And also, they can't regulate suck, swallow, breathe. So a lot of times, preemies who have reflux, you know, a lot of preemies are more susceptible to reflux. They are doing their best just to stay coordinated enough to suck, swallow, breathe. Well, if you cut that nipple, now they're just gulping, and it's just like survival of the fittest. So there's nothing positive happening with the feeding, nothing soothing positive. And also, they can't control when they really stop eating because when they're Tummies get full. If the stuff is still coming out, they're just still gulping. And if they don't understand how to suck, swallow, breathe, and slowly like stop themselves, they are just going to eat also until they're overly full. None of this is positive, and it could set them up for possible aspiration. And of course, that's a no go. So I'd say never manipulate the nipple, never change it at all. And I I don't like putting formula in the I mean cereal in the bottle either because. Why? You know, they don't need it up until six months of age. The formula or the breast milk has everything they need. I mean, it's the pits when the baby doesn't sleep through the night at three months. But Mm -hmm. 
sometimes that's just what you have, and there's it's okay if they wake up. You know, I mean, because neurologically, their yeah. body is waking up. Yeah, and they need to eat. They might, they really might need to eat. They do need mm-hmm. to eat. So, I think it's awesome if your baby at three months can sleep through the night. But at one month, you really don't want your baby sleeping through the night. They need to wake up and eat. At two months, you really don't want them to. They need to wake up and eat. At three months, I've heard tale of people that that happens, uh, like, like <laughs> <laughs> mythological situations. But all right, sure. But it, and you know, it, and at six months, you do want them to start being able to sleep through the night. Or but you know, even sometimes the night for a six month old, they might go to bed at seven. Wake up at 11 for a bottle, sleep till 5. Well, to me, that is sleeping through the night. They slept from 11 to 5. I'm having five and people in the food line the next day. I'm like singing Kumbaya and running down the street like, whoop, whoop. Because that's as long as awesome. you can get three hours in a row, right? I mean, that is awesome. So my thing is let's medically manage the reflux. The rice cereal or the cereal in the bottle doesn't help medically manage it at all. I don't think that weighing the formula down and giving them rice cereal makes them less prone to reflux. They still may be experiencing reflux. You just might not see it. And instead, it's going back and up and down the esophagus. They still have the same burning sensation, but it's not curing the reflux. So let's do that with medical management. And babies don't start on cereal until that six-month mark because their tummies aren't ready for it. Mm -mm. No, they're not. They're just not ready. And and so there's just no need in it. They don't need the calories and they don't need to sleep through the night. And so I say no, never. It's part of parenting. It is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it is. And that's why the first three months is just like, you know, every man for himself, you know, and just mm-hmm. do what you can do to get through it. <laughs> and I mean, it's tough. There's nothing sweeter and better in the world, in my opinion, than that sweet little baby's head in the middle of the night. I mean, at zero to three months, that is the sweetest most wonderful thing but you're exhausted and as precious and awesome as that is you're still just surviving the first three months it ain't pretty (laughs) it's not pretty (laughs) anyway so there you go so kirsty referenced earlier in the podcast normal development we do have podcasts about normal speech and language development normal motor fine motor normal gross motor development if you haven't heard those you would go back and Listen to those. That will help support the information that you heard today, give you a little bit more context. You can listen to all of our podcasts on theworkingtherapist.com as well as pediatricdt.com. And we're also on iTunes and Stitcher. So there you go. Check out other podcasts. Um, there's some good ones with myself and Kirsty. And just remember, that. can I say one thing? Yeah, yeah, please. So, and just remember, as a PT, It's important to listen to other podcasts regarding other disciplines, speech therapy, OT, because we always treat the whole child. Yeah, that's another reason why Kirsten and I did this one today, because that's such a huge integral part of what we do at PDT and really what you and I believe in, Kirsty, in terms of being a pediatric therapist. I'm a pediatric speech therapist, but I do treat the whole child and so do you. So we really wanted to do this today because this is not typically a PT conversation, but it is. It should be. Uh huh. So thanks for doing this with me, and I appreciate it. This was awesome. Thank you. Yep. Thanks, everybody, for listening, and we'll catch you next time on another episode of The Working Therapist. Thanks for joining us for today's edition of The Working Therapist, an extension of the Pediatric Developmental Therapy Network. If you would like more information regarding this podcast or would like to get in touch with us for any reason, visit us on the web at www.pediatricdt.com. That's pediatricdt.com. 